Welcome to Parkview. We're glad that you're here. It's shoes. We're going to do shoes. We're going to talk about shoes today. You'll get it along the way. Um, but uh, before we get going, a little shout out from New York City. I have to show you this picture. Uh, if you go, uh, my, I, my daughter and I were there working on some church planting things with some people, and uh, it, we're planting some cool churches in New York City. Uh, you can't believe the stuff that's going on, but while we're there, we're in Times Square, and if you go in the American Eagle store, you can get your picture taken, and they'll put it up on one of those giant screens in, in Times Square. So here's the picture, a little shout out to you. Parkview Rocks, there you go, right there. We had you in Times Square this week. Just a little shout out. Do you know your purpose? If you don't know your purpose, uh, it's easy to misuse it, you know? And, and, it, and it's getting a little ridiculous in this brave new world that we live in. Here's a picture I took at LaGuardia on the way out. Snow globes are not allowed through security checkpoint anymore. I mean, is that ridiculous? How is Scott Calvin's son going to find his father? I mean... Oh, son, you can't take that through. But my dad's Santa. I don't care. It's a terrorist might use it. I mean, if you don't use something for its right purpose, it's going to get all messed up. And that's why we've been talking about the 40 days of purpose. Elvis was a king, but he didn't know his purpose. Did you know that? According to friends, he was a very unfulfilled and unhappy man. Priscilla did an interview. He died from drug dependency at 42, okay? Um, and he's not still alive, okay? Let's settle that. Um, but he didn't know his purpose, and he was frustrated. Priscilla said, listen to this, Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought he was here for a reason, maybe to preach. You imagine not going to Elvis church. That's cool. Maybe he was here to preach. Maybe he was here to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. And that agonizing desire was always with him, and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it, so he'd go on stage so he wouldn't have to think about it. Do you know your purpose? We've been talking around here, we've been doing the Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. We've been doing the 40 days. Uh, we're at the fourth purpose today. The first purpose is to worship God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's number one. Okay? The second pur- purpose, Jesus said, is to fellowship. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. The third purpose we talked about uh, last week was discipleship. That's, uh, that's growing to be more like Jesus. The Bible uses the word disciple 269 times. It uses the word Christian three times. We're supposed to be disciples, not Christians, okay? We're supposed to follow him. And here's your fourth purpose. It's in Ephesians 2. So read along with this with me, if you would. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Your fourth purpose is we are God's workmanship created for good works. Basically, this means that you are an instrument. You are a tool to be used for something. If you work with your hands, you understand that it's a hammer. You're a saw, okay? If you're more technological, we're talking about you're a GPS unit. You're supposed to help people find their way somewhere. You're a laptop. You're a cell phone. You're designed for a purpose, okay? And I know that may be confusing to you. My wife's family is from Missouri, and they're still a little confused with this whole technology thing. They sent me their definition definition of technology for country folk, I thought I'd share it with you. Log on is when you put a log on the fire in Missouri. Download is when you get the firewood off the truck, okay? Megahertz is when you're not careful getting the firewood off the truck. A hard drive is just getting home in wintertime in Missouri. A screen is what you shut when it's fly season. A chip is munchies for the TV. A microchip is what's left at the bottom of the bag when all the big chips are gone. Modem is what you do to the hay fields, right? Keyboards where you hang the truck keys. Software are those little plastics, forks and knives and spoons, okay? And reboots what you do right before bedtime when you have to go to the outhouse. I mean, this is the difference, okay? 
you're, you're an instrument that was made for a purpose. And if you're not used for that purpose, I mean, if, you don't, if, you're, if you're a snow globe, you're supposed to be able to be shaken up and, and be magical. You're supposed to be able to go to the Empire State Building and buy a snow globe and enjoy it. But you can't do that anymore. I mean, it's lost its purpose. You, if you are not doing what God wanted you to do, then you're not being fulfilled for your purpose. You don't create a tool so that you can set it out and go, oh, look at my hammer collection. Right? You don't go, oh, look at my nice computer. Isn't it pretty? Unless you're one of, you know, a Mac junkie, maybe. But you, 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 you have those things so that they can be used for a purpose. Let me read it again. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're created... Our fourth purpose is for good works. Okay? You understand this? To, to, to be a contribution, not to consume. We're created to serve. We're saved to serve. We're commanded to serve. Peter says each of us should use whatever gift he's received to what? Make money, have fun, make a name for ourselves. Each of us should use whatever gift he has been given to serve others. First line in the Purpose Driven Life book, if you haven't read it, and I still would encourage you to get it and read it, first line is, it's not about you. It's not about you. The Bible has a word for this, uh, this service thing. It's called ministry. And again, it's a misunderstood word. When I, I've been re-explaining all these words. Worship, we think worship is about singing a song, but worship is much deeper than that. It's about what we do. Fellowship, we don't understand fellowship is, is about all the things and how we're supposed to be connected to each other. Uh, discipleship, we, we think that sounds like something that somebody else ought to do, but it's really just about being like Jesus. And, and ministry seems like one of those things where a guy's supposed to be wearing a collar, right? Or that's something that only professional people do. Let me just ask you a question. How many ministers do I have here in the congregation today? It's been a while since I've done this, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Here's the problem. All of you should have raised your hand. So since you're not comfortable with this, let me read this scripture and then I'm going to ordain you. Just a second. Okay. Here we go. But you, listen to, listen to Peter, you are a chosen people. Who's he writing to? Just the clergy? No, he's writing to everybody who reads his letter, everybody who's going to study the Bible from now on. He says, all of you who are believers, who are disciples of Jesus, you are a chosen people, a, say this with me, a royal priesthood. Say, I'm a royal priest. It's weird, I know, I know a lot of you grew up in a system where priests were over here and you were over here. The truth of the matter is, you are a priest. You're a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, and now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. So because you have mercy, because you are a people, because we are the chosen of God, we are a royal priesthood. Every one of us is ministers. So please get down on your knees, and I will ordain you. Now. Everybody thinks I'm kidding. I mean, if you're physically not able, that's okay. But you want to, okay, now get yourself in a warmly receptive place for the ordination of God. Thank you, thank you. Maybe hands up, I don't know. I ordain thee. Okay, you're done. You may sit down. Now, now that you're staffed, you need to park away from the building. You need to start giving. And you need to get here on time, okay? Those are just a couple of criteria now that you're on, okay? 
Uh, the truth of the matter is, I make fun of that, but the truth of the matter is, we are all ministers. Some of us are set apart to do some specific kinds of ministries, but all of us, the word service and ministry were interchangeable in the Bible. And so you're like, well, how do we figure out how to serve, right? My next question is, okay, now I'm a minister, who should I look like? How should I look like? Should I look like Harlow? Should I look like Bill Brown? Should I look like Lonnie? No, no, no. You should look like Jesus, not Dumbledore. You should look like Jesus. Okay, uh, you can remember that sermon last week. Okay, that was where I was trying to go with that one. If it didn't work or not, your discipleship you're created to be like Christ, and Christ is our model. Here's what Jesus said: Your attitude must be like mine. I did not come to be served, but to serve. You're supposed to not find your your significance in life. People are looking for significance in so many ways. You're not supposed to find it by by your salary, by your success, by by the status. You're supposed to find it through service, like Jesus. So what does it look like to serve like Jesus? I just picked a couple of things that I thought would be helpful. The first one is, it means you're going to be available. You're available. One day Jesus is walking down the road to Jericho, and some blind men start yelling at him, Hey, heal us, Jesus. And two blind men shouted, Lord, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and he called them. What do you want me to do for you? I, I love it when Jesus is ironic. You know, I mean, they're blind. We want to see. But, but, but he's not being ironic because, because he, really wanted them to, he really wanted to find out if they had enough faith to believe that he could do it. You know, he may be asking you that same question. What do you want me to do for you today? But that's not the important phrase in here for this one. Jesus stopped is all you really need to pay attention to. Jesus stopped. Rick Warren says a lot of people follow the steps of Jesus. And I'm excited. I'm, we're going to the Holy Land in a couple of weeks. We have never, ever been to the Holy Land. It's part of our 20th anniversary present from our leadership. We're going to go over there, and I'm going to walk where Jesus walked. And I'm going to do some filming for the Christmas series, and it's going to be really, really cool. I'm excited to walk in the steps of Jesus. I've never done it. I've been in ministry for 27 years and never done it. But Rick Warren says what we ought to do is not follow the steps of Jesus, we had to follow the stops of Jesus. Because everything Jesus did in ministry and miracles and the things that he did for people usually involved interrupting something else that was going on so that he could do it. The Bible says, never tell your neighbors to wait till tomorrow if you can help them now. Servant-hearted people don't procrastinate. John Wesley's motto was this, do all the good you can by all the means you can, by all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. And what that means is, uh, you, you can't say, well, God, I'd like for you to use me, but I, you know, I'm busy. My schedule's all booked up. The only way that we can be a servant, if we're going to be like Jesus, is to stop and allow ourselves to be interrupted and go take care of people when they need it. Number one enemy of compassion, the number one enemy of service, I believe, is busyness. And I believe it's worse now than it's ever been before. I read a story written by a man who was a young, successful executive, and uh, he was driving down the road one day in his brand new Jaguar, black Jaguar, and he just was really proud of this car. He'd been working his way up the ladder, and he was really, really proud of this ride. And he's driving through a residential area out of a poorer neighborhood, and he was being really careful because there was cars parked on both sides, and he wanted to make sure he didn't hit anybody. And as he's driving really slowly, all of a sudden a brick comes out of nowhere, whomp, hits the side door of his brand-new Jag. He slams on the brakes, puts it in reverse, comes back to the spot where the brick came from, gets out, looks at his car, can see this huge dent, sees the brick laying there, sees the kid standing there that obviously threw it, went over and grabbed the kid and started yelling at him and telling him, you're going to pay for this. Why did you do this? I can't believe you did it. And the kid 
kid is in tears. And he says, please, mister, you've got to understand, I'm sorry I threw the brick, but my brother's fallen over there, and I can't help him, and I couldn't get anybody to stop and help me. And he went over and he looked, and there was this little kid's older brother who was in a wheelchair who'd fallen off the curb and scraped up himself, falling out of his wheelchair. And he swallowed a lump in his throat, he said, and I went over and I, and I picked the boy up. I put him back in his chair. I got him back on the sidewalk. I gave him a handkerchief. I could see that there were no major injuries and I saw them both walk off. And he said, I went back over to my car and I looked at it again. And he said, I decided not to fix the dent in my door ever again. He said, so that to remind me to stop going through life so fast that someone has to throw a brick at me to get my attention. Serving like Jesus means to be available. Serving like Jesus, secondly, means to be humble. Here's what God says. And all of you must put on the apron of humility, serve one another. For the scripture says God resists the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. We're supposed to be like Jesus, right? Jesus was the humble one. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, Paul said, who made being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Let me start somewhere with this whole humility servant thing, okay? And I'll show you this email I got this week that kind of sparked this for me. The place that this starts for all of us, this humility thing, this servant-hearted humility thing, the place that I believe it starts is in that tub right there. It's in baptism. I mean, last year we did 740 baptisms in one weekend because, you know, we just got, the Spirit just really led people. And I'm going to tell you something. I want to do it again next weekend. I mean, I'm not going to bring in extra tubs. I don't think we're going to have, you know, a thousand people that are going to do this. And I'm just giving you one week notice. I'm not going to preach on baptism. But I just really felt led that next week I'm going to jump in there in my clothes. And maybe you are too. And maybe you need to think about the very first step is to say, okay, I'm going to do this. And we'll baptize as many people as come and we'll make it happen. Here's why this happened. I got this email. Dwight Howard, show the picture. Dwight Howard is Superman, right? Uh, six foot eleven, NBA star, slam dunk champion, Olympic gold medalist, plays for the Orlando Magic. Two weeks ago, this is Dwight Howard getting baptized in the ocean, okay? He, uh, he goes to a church down in Orlando, and, uh, and he decided to go out. They had a big ocean baptism. And I thought, you know what? If Superman can get baptized, I mean, that's his nickname. If Superman can get baptized, then I ought to be able to get, you know, I ought to be able to get a lot of you people baptized. If Jesus can get baptized, then, man, we ought to be able to say, okay, I'm going to start here. I'm going to go, okay, yeah, this is it. I got it. I'm going to do it. So next weekend, jump in. Bring some clothes if you want. The problem with this serving thing in the kingdom, however, is twofold. On one hand, some people are too proud. Some people are too proud. You know, they, they have the American Idol syndrome. They think they're more important than they really are. You know, she bang, she bang, oh baby. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, they think that they got gifts that they really don't have. Listen to me. If you're a hammer, be a hammer. Okay? If you're a GPS, be a GPS. But don't try to be something somebody else is. Here's what 1 Corinthians says. Throw yourself into the work of the Master. Throw yourself into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do is a waste of time or effort. Nothing that you do. Even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, Jesus said, that's good. Okay? That's something. It's important. It's the difference between significance and prominence. Right? I think that's the problem. You, you might say, oh, I want to be people in the drama, or I want to be up on stage, or I, you know, I, I mean, I should be doing something prominent. You know what? Prominent is my nose. I, you look at my face, and there's something that's prominent. It's my nose. It's not as prominent as some of yours, but it's prominent, okay? 
can I do without my nose? Yeah, I can. It's prominent. It's not significant. I could do without it. The guy who left his heart in San Francisco, he's got a problem, right? I can't do without that. There's a lot of things that are not prominent that are significant. And I want to tell you something. I believe that the ministry, the service in the church is about the significant, not the prominent. I think I'm the least important person in this whole machine. I'm just the one that's up here being a big nose. What we need are the people that are changing the diapers, the people that are doing the traffic, the people that are, are taking care of our, our junior high student ministry, those people that are doing it, and people that are sweeping the floors, those are the people that are significant. There's a difference between significant and prominent. Several years ago, two teenage boys tried to get into a revival service, and the revival service, this is back in the day when they were doing revival service, back in the early 1900s, and, and, and back in the day, they were having, the, I mean, just this unbelievable time, and the place was packed, and these two teenage boys walked in to try to go to the service, and they couldn't find a seat, and they turned around and tried to walk out again, and an usher stopped them and said, hey, wait a minute, boys, I'll find you a seat. And he walked up way up to the middle, and he kind of moved some people around, and he found them two seats where they could sit down and enjoy the service. And they sat during, during a service, and both of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ that night, and one of them was Billy Graham. That's a true story. So I ask you, who was more important to the kingdom of God that night, the preacher or the usher, significant or prominent? Reminds me of that old story about the bus driver and the preacher that went to heaven. And uh, the bus driver was given this huge mansion up on a hill, and the preacher just got this small little two-bedroom house. And the preacher's like, Peter, what's, what's up with this? I, you know, I spent my whole life in ministry for you. I, I gave my life to Jesus. I did everything that I could do. Well, how does this bus driver get a bigger house than me? Peter said, well, you've got to understand, when you preached, people slept. But when that bus driver drove, people prayed. You've been on that bus, haven't you? <laughs> Some people are too proud, okay? Don't, don't be too proud to think that you can't change diapers in the nursery. Don't be too proud for that. On the other hand, some people are too humble. They're too humble. Again, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Don't sell yourself short. You were made by God. You can do it. You work really, really good. Remember when God challenged Moses to lead his people out of, out of, the, out of Egypt? What did he say? Moses said, I, I can't do it. I stutter. I don't talk good. I, I can't do this. And was Moses happy? Do you, do you remember this scenario at all? I mean, was, was God happy with Moses? Let, let me read you what it says. The wrath of God was kindled against Moses because of his lack of faith. God didn't go, oh, Moses, I'm so proud of you. You're such a nice, humble guy. God was mad. He was like throwing lightning bolts at him. He's like, what are you talking about? I made your mouth. I made you. Don't be, don't be this person that thinks, well, I don't have anything to offer. Everybody has something to offer in the kingdom of God. If you're not involved in ministry, what excuse is it that you've been using? Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Rahab was immoral. David had all kinds of problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Peter was impulsive. Martha worried. The Samaritan woman had five failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had bad health. I mean, look at this group of people that God pulled together to change the world. There wasn't a stud among them, okay? There wasn't anybody in there that was like, oh, I got this all together. God used these people. The problem with the church is what Bud Wilkinson, one of the great college coaches of all time, three national championships, he was asked, 
what contribution does professional sports make to the physical fitness of Americans? And to no one's surprise, he said, very little. Professional football game is 50,000 spectators desperately needing exercise, watching 22 players who desperately need rest, right? That's kind of what's going to be all afternoon, right? That's what happens in a lot of churches, my friends, and that's not going to work. We have to work together. We have to work together together. And I got my puppy picture in. This is a, I know, I know, it's for the girls. Every once in a while I have to do something for the girls. Uh, I, I, I love this picture because I feel like it's God pulling somebody up and all the rest of us helping to push. But we've got to all be doing it together. Serving is like being available and it's humble and serving is being faithful. That's the last one. Jesus said, I have brought you glory, Lord, by completing the work that you gave me to do. I've, I've read that a couple of times lately. I've just been thinking about it. Not, not like I'm going to die. I, I'm not at that place in my life. But I've been thinking about getting to the point at some place where I come before God and I go, you know what? I've completed the work you gave me to do. I haven't done it yet. And here's the truth of the matter. You're not done with it either. You can retire from your job, but you will never retire from ministry. As a matter of fact, if you are retired, you have a lot more time that you ought to be doing more ministry. What else are you going to do? You're going to play golf? I mean, you need to be doing some kind of ministry. You need to be involved. And if you aren't retired and you don't think you have time, don't make me throw a brick at you. You've got to be faithful. Someone suggested we have a sign over our door at every place, at every door that we walk in that says, Servant's Entrance. Um, that's really what it's supposed to be. The Bible says the one thing that is required of servants is that they be faithful. That they be faithful. We're a servant, we're supposed to be faithful like Jesus. And I know, I know what you're thinking. You walk in here and you're like, well, you know, I, I didn't create this thing. You know, this isn't my deal. You're like me and toilet paper at my house, aren't you? You know, I have three daughters and a wife. I use like one one-hundredth of the toilet paper in my house. So I could easily get to the end of the roll and go, well, it's not my job to get another one. I didn't use this roll. I know it wasn't me. But if I don't do it, somebody's going to be in trouble, aren't they? Okay? So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be a servant. Even though maybe I didn't create the situation, I'm supposed to jump in, go get another roll, and don't just set it up there. I mean, you've got to take the little thing off, put it on, and put it back up again, and roll it from the top. That's the biblical way, just so you know. That, 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 that's, that's my obligation as a part of the family is that when I run out, I'm supposed to do it. And you know what? As a part of the Christian family, you have things that you ought to do. You ought to be involved. I know you didn't create the parking problem, but we need some help. I know you didn't have all those kids, but we need some help. I mean, all those things that are going on, we need some help, okay? That's what we're supposed to do. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not really, I mean, this isn't some big serving weekend where we're trying to get you to, to hook up and do something. If you're looking for serving opportunities, I'd encourage you to get one of these park views on the way out. Out. It's got uh, all the. It's kind of like our monthly newsletter. We don't send them out anymore because we got everything on the web. But the last page of there is some serving opportunities for you. We've always got serving opportunities. We always need you. But the truth of the matter is, I don't think you're supposed to be serving here. You're supposed to be serving everywhere. Okay, everywhere, not just here. You're supposed to be serving out there in the world. One day we're going to stand before God. I mean, I'm back to this whole thing. Here's, here's Paul talking to Timothy. The time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Can you grab the significance of that? Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The time has come. I've fought the fight. I've finished the race. That, that keeps coming back to me. God didn't put me on this earth so that I could take care of me. It's not about me. It's supposed to be about serving. 
got a letter from a who's who company, one of those who's who books. Do you guys get those, or am I more important than you? Uh, it's a ripoff. I mean, I, all it is is this, uh, you know, they try to sell you this book. We'll put your name in this thing, and then you pay us $60, and you'll get a book, okay? It's really dumb. I don't know if you ever figured that out or not. But, but, but I, got this, I got this advertisement for this who's who thing, and I'm thinking, I know who's who. It says right in Matthew 23, 11, it says, the greatest among you will be your servant. Matthew 25, we read this parable a couple of weeks ago. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. This is what's important. Just before Jesus had the first communion service, he got together with his disciples. He's in the upper room. In John 13, it was just before the Passover feast, and it says, Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Only John records it this way. I think it's beautiful. Jesus is getting ready to show them the full extent of his love. Okay? I mean, up to this point, evidently, Jesus has not given them the full extent of his love. He's just been hanging out with them. He's been discipling them. But up to this point, he's not done the full extent. He's getting ready to do the full extent. So you're like, man, what's he going to do? What's he going to What's going to happen? So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was around him. The full, did you get the equation there? The full extent of Jesus' love was taking on the very lowest servant role that would have possibly happened in the household, which was washing feet. The full extent of love is changing the toilet paper roll. The full extent of love is serving. The full extent of love is washing feet. I've got a friend, uh, when I was in New York this week with the church planters, one of the guys who's helping us uh, in this venture, his wife has MS, and uh, she's gotten to the point where uh, things are not going very well and she's crippled up and she's not able to do for herself and he said she can't reach her feet anymore so I'm literally washing my wife's feet now and he said every time I do it I'm reminded of the role that I put here on this earth to play that's exactly who I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be the foot washer I'm supposed to be the servant it's exactly what's going to happen so we got the shoes, you probably noticed. Um, we're doing shoes for souls. Um, shoes for people who aren't going to have them. Um, if you weren't here last week, uh, I announced this ahead of time, but maybe the Spirit's just going to move you to say, you know what, when I walk out of here, the one easy way for me to serve, I can't wash the feet of someone who lives downtown or lives in Harvey or lives someplace where they don't have good shoes. I can't wash their feet, but I could at least give them my shoes. And so uh, this is just a a small representation. We've got thousands of shoes out there and already thousands of shoes in the basement. I can't wait to figure out how big this pile is going to be when we're done. And we're giving up our shoes to people who are going to need them. And it's going to be incredible. Um, because it's just a simple, easy way. Now, don't be looking up here going, oh, those are cute boots. I think I'll get those. No. <laughs> if you, I see you. I can see. If you, uh, I'm a, seriously, though, if you're in a situation of need, you need some shoes, come up and get some. But for the rest of us, I think it's going to be pretty easy for us to kick off our shoes. It's going to be 66 degrees in the middle of November today. I think God made it okay for you to walk out of here barefoot, leave your shoes for somebody, and start serving. I, I I got this bag of shoes that means more to me than you'll probably ever know because these are Bailey shoes. Bailey was a 
young girl in our congregation who probably epitomized servanthood more than anybody in our congregation. She worked in mops. She took care of our kids. She did all kinds of great stuff. And she died very tragically a couple of years ago. It's almost the second anniversary. I would say probably the hardest moment of my ministry life was, was Bailey. And, um, and these are her shoes. You have to understand, if you didn't know Bailey, Bailey was a shoe girl. So her mom said, after last week, she said, you know what, I've had a hard time giving up Bailey's shoes, but I know that this is what she'd want. And um, so I got a bag of Bailey's shoes here today, and I think probably all the rest of us could take a lesson from this. I'm going to show you a clip from a movie <clears throat> called Entertaining Angels. Just is perfect for this. It's a movie about a, a, a woman named Dorothy Day who started the Catholic worker movement back in the 1930s. Um, it's a true story. And uh, as she starts this movement, she's just a woman who has a heart for the poor and she wants to care for them. And so she starts taking care of people and all of a sudden other people join her. And they all start becoming poor themselves because they're giving up to everybody else. And the scene in this movie is with Martin Sheen, is a scene where he is washing someone's feet and finally gets this whole servanthood. Let's watch. Let's pray. Lord, as we take communion right now, we couldn't have a better reminder of what it means to be a servant because we're going to eat this bread and drink this juice and remember that you were such a servant that you laid down your entire life. You didn't just wash feet. The full extent of your love was the next day when you allowed them to nail you to that cross so that my sins could be paid for. Lord, there may be people in this room who, uh, who are crying out to you right now to say, Lord, I'm blind and I need to see. And, 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 and you're asking back, what do you want me to do for you? Let them open up right now and say, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want you to forgive me for my sins. I want you to take me to be where you are. I want, I want to receive the Spirit into my life, forgiveness into my life, your power into my life to live right now and forever. Lord, for all of us, we'll just take a moment right now and contemplate giving up our shoes as a, maybe a beginning step of service, but I pray that as we all take a moment here to remember our model, not only for discipleship, but for servanthood, being you, and we think about what we are called to do, and we think about all the wonderful things that we have going on in our life, that we could share. Touch our hearts as we commune with you for just a moment. In Jesus' name I pray.